He will look at each and everything that we've done as born-again believers. And the primary point of evaluation the New Testament reveals is how we have served Him when we're scattered and how we have served Him when we are gathered as a local assembly. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. Today we move into chapter 15 in our study of the Revelation. Having had a pause in a series of judgments that God sets upon the earth during the time known as the Tribulation, we'll see those judgments begin again. But first, the Apostle John writes about an incredible vision that consists of seven angels who have seven plagues. Today's subject is about the bowls that are coming as God begins his countdown clock, culminating in the blast-off at Armageddon that we will see in the next chapter. You say, Pastor, what kind of bowls are coming? The seven bowls of the wrath of God Almighty. I know that's not a very pleasant message. I know that it does not, however, change the truthfulness of what God has revealed in His Word. Certainly, the announcement of doom and gloom is not preached in many churches. But when God speaks of doom and gloom, we have a responsibility to say what He says. Revelation, unfortunately, is one of the least preached books in all of the Bible, and there's a reason for that. The idea of announcing that there is imminent danger in some people's thinking brings them back to Aesop's fables, the shepherd boy and the wolf. And if you remember that young shepherd boy in the story was so bored and so frustrated that to rile up the community, he would shout wolf. And of course, he was severely scolded each time. And then finally, when the real wolf came, no one believed him. My dad told me of a time 80 years ago, he was just a young man. It happened in 1938. Millions of people, as his own family did there in the state of Maine, would crowd around the radio and they would listen to the Mercury Theater of the Air. In October of 1938, millions were shocked as they heard the alert that there was an invasion from Mars. Listeners across America panicked. At first, the radio came on and Orson Welles interrupted it and said, we, we have news that we think a large meteor has hit the planet Earth. And then a few minutes later, live from the scene was a reporter who saw the Martians there in, in Grover's Mill, New Jersey, and with their ray guns, and people, especially all across the Northeast, panicked. They got in their cars, they went to their churches, they gathered their families together. The next day, of course, it was revealed that it was a big fraud. And of course, now the FCC prohibits such broadcasting that could create a catastrophe, though that didn't seem to stop John Ulett some 25 years ago. The first Gulf War was emerging, and he signaled the emergency broadcast signal on the station that he was a part of, KSHE, there in St. Louis, Missouri, and he said, your attention, this is not a test. The United States of America is under a nuclear attack. And he played the fake warning hoping to get Americans to think about the seriousness of a nuclear war. 
course, he wasn't too happy the next day. Millions of people, when you speak of coming doom, they think it's a fable. They think it's a hoax. They think that sometimes pastors preach on it to get the ratings up to fill the church seats. Are you serious? You really believe this stuff, pastor? Every single word of it. Of course, in Noah's day, when Noah preached a doom that was coming, no one listened to him. No one took him seriously. Most thought it to be fiction. How do I know that? Because Jesus tells us that. In Luke 17, 27, Jesus said they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage, just doing the things you did every day. You had meals, you sent your daughters off to be married, you built your homes, as the parallel text says, until the day, the very day, Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. This world, for many, it will be too late when they see that what we are studying in the Revelation is absolute truth. Now, the Bible is clear that the next great event on God's prophetic calendar is the catching up of the church. And then a seven-year period that's described in Revelation 6 through 18 will begin to unfold upon the planet like the world has never, ever imagined. And if you think I am exaggerating, Christ, who is God incarnate, said, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And since Jesus is God in a body, he cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. He's not like a man that he would ever lie. He tells us by his own divine insight that if you took, I suppose, all of the tornadoes, all of the epidemics, all of the crises, all of the 9-11s, all of the hurricanes, all of the tsunamis, all of the holocausts, he said that those things don't even begin to compare to what is out in front of us in human history. Now, when we began chapter 6, it was a major turning point in the Revelation. It was a watershed of sorts because God is beginning to unfold His wrath. And when we come here to the 15th chapter, this is the only chapter I'm preaching in one sermon. Many chapters I've given six, seven, eight sermons on. And most of the chapters that will follow, there'll be three, four, five, six sermons in some of the chapters. At least that's what I think at this point. But this is the shortest chapter in all the Revelation, and it needs to be handled as a unit, and so we'll do that today. Revelation 15, beginning now in verse 1. Follow along, if you would, in your Bibles. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened, and the seven angels 
who had the seven plagues, came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, for our own edification, and especially for those who are new with us here for the first time, let me draw you into the broad and then the immediate context. This is one of the few books in the Bible where God puts the outline in the book and how critical it is that he would do this for the revelation because it is a very much misunderstood book. But if we would look at the outline, it would clear up a lot of the ambiguity. Revelation 119, John is commanded to write the things which he has seen. That's chapter 1. That's the past. Then he is told to write the things which are. That's the present time in his day. That's chapters 2 and 3, seven real churches that are going to receive this letter. And then he is told to write the things which will take place after these things. That's the future. And so beginning in chapter 4, all the way through the 22nd chapter, we have a picture of future things, the things which will take place after these things. So beginning in chapters 4 and 5, the church has been transported to heaven we saw that there is an open door in heaven and there are 24 elders representative of the body of Christ. The church did not exist in the Old Testament. It is a New Testament entity. And so the rapture has taken place. The church is being evaluated and we will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now there is a number of throne room uh, visions in the Bible, Ezekiel, Zechariah, so forth. Um, but there are a few that are very parallel, which I've already noted for you. Isaiah has one, Daniel has one, and John has one in the Revelation. And while they are very similar, there's one distinct difference. The elders, that is the church, are not present in the vision that Isaiah and Daniel have, one, because the church did not yet exist. But here they are in the throne room of God. The church that began on the day of Pentecost is removed while God kicks back in with his plan for the nation of Israel. It's a prophecy. The whole schematic is found in Daniel 9. If you did not listen to those four messages on Daniel 9, that might be helpful to you in your study of the Revelation. And so the church has been captured and brought into heaven, and you never see the church mentioned again after chapter 3 until you come to Revelation 19, 14, when we come back with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 6, things change very fast, and things get dark quite quickly. I told you it's critical to understand the structure of the Revelation, or it becomes somewhat confusing to you. And we saw that there are three series of sevens in which the judgment of God is unfolded on the earth. The first seven are the seven-sealed scroll, as this chart pictures for you. The first four horses, the white, the red, the black, the ashen horse, we studied sermon on each of those, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then we studied the martyrs, those who are being slaughtered during this time because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. Then we saw the first of all the cosmic changes that are going to take place. And then as similar in all of these series of structures, between six and seven, 
seals, trumpets, or bowls. There is a pause in the narrative to go back and tell us what has been taking place or to give us a preview of important things that are going to happen. And so between seal number six and seal number seven, we saw the conversion of 144,000 Jewish people. They are preaching the gospel. How do I know? Because when we have divine commentary on them, in chapter 14, one thing they are commended for, they obey and follow Jesus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you are not fishing for men, I don't care what you may be doing, how you may serve, how many Bible studies you may lead, if you are not fishing for men, just write it across your mind, you are not following Christ. We are to fish for men as a way of life. As you go, literally, make converts, not do discipleship. That has been a verse that has been abused for nearly five decades where someone said the thrust of Matthew 28 is do discipleship. No, it is not. It is to make disciples, and contextually, when you put all five great commissions together and even the immediate context, it's make converts, not now just of the house of Israel, but he broadens, he greatens the commission to all nations. And you do with new believers what you're supposed to do. You're baptizing them. And you are teaching them. All happens through the local church. So these 144,000, because of their preaching ministry, we see an untold number of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that are converted to Jesus. Then, of course, with the opening of the seventh seal is seven trumpets. And so as you can see here, seven trumpets. And once again, between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, there's a space of time in the narrative. Not time in terms of action, but time in terms of the narrative. Once again, he goes back. He tells us some things that have been happening, but he's also previewing for us some events that are going to take place during the rest of the seven-year period. There's a trigger that brings about the first trumpet. It's called the abomination of desolation. And when that act happens, the first trumpet is sounded. And when it is sounded, the Bible says there's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. People, unlike in the seals where they can see them just one at a time, when the first trumpet is blown, they can see all seven trumpets. And like in the seventh seal, in the seventh trumpet are the seven bowls. And so they can see all the way to the end what God is going to bring, and it just takes their breath away. They're just moved. They're stunned. Unlike this chapter and other chapters that are filled with praise and music, silence for 30 minutes. Now, the seventh trumpet, if you remember, was introduced in Revelation eleven fifteen. And when it is sounded, it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And you would think that the book should end there, but it doesn't. Then he goes on in this parenthetical section found in chapters 11 through 14, and he gives us further narrative of what has been taking place. He's reviewing and he is previewing. 
So if you remember in chapter 10, we had the angel in the little book. In chapter 11, the two witnesses, the seventh trumpet is sounded, but you don't see its effect until you come to Revelation 16:1, when the first bowl that is in the seventh trumpet begins to unfold. And so he again introduces us in chapters 12, 13, and 14 to seven critical personages that are key players during this time called the time of Daniel's trouble called the Great Tribulation, called the time of Jacob's trouble. So now here's a new diagram. And remember, these things follow chronologically. Occasionally you get people who say, well, this is already taking place. It's all history. We said that that was the preterist point of view. And it's very popular amongst amillennialists and Calvinism today, the Church of England, Church of Scotland, Church of Ireland, and today in the Reformed community. But it is just wrong. It is bad theology. It is applying a different principle of interpretation to prophetic literature than what God models for us in the Word of God. And then you get some people who are very sloppy, and they say, well, they just all happen at once. All the seals, all the trumpets, all the bowls, they just happen at once. No, it's very clear that they happen in successive order. And so here we have the seven bowls of wrath. The first bowl we'll study is a bowl filled with sores. The second bowl, a bowl where the oceans are turned to blood. The third bowl, all the fresh water sources are filled with blood. The fourth bowl, men are scorched by the sun. The fifth bowl, incredible darkness. The sixth bowl, the Euphrates River is dried up, and it will usher in the battle of Armageddon. And then once again, between six and seven, there's a brief space of time. Here are just a few verses, not some chapters. And then he resumes with the seventh bowl. So the seventh trumpet opens up the six bowls of wrath, and then after the sixth bowl, there's a brief interlude. And the fact that these are successive, the sealed trumpet and bowl judgments, and don't happen simultaneously, are clear from the results. For instance, when the fourth seal is let go, only one-fourth of the world is affected. When the third trumpet is sounded, one-third of the world is affected. And when the bowl judgments are brought about, the entire planet is affected. So God is, like Jesus said, like a woman in labor. Remember Matthew 24, beginning in verse 4, all the way through verse 15, is describing the first half of the tribulation period. The, the, uh, the, the calamities, the wars, the famines, we've had that throughout history. But he's describing the first three and a half years. And like a woman in labor, it gets progressively closer in terms of the labor pains and more intense. The middle trigger point is Matthew 24, 15. It's the middle trigger point in Daniel's prophecy in the ninth chapter, the abomination of desolation. And that begins the second half with the trumpets. And by the time you get to the bulls, again, they're getting closer and closer, harder and harder. And when we come to the bull judgments, very, very quick in a short period of time. Now, here's an overview, again, of the big picture. The next event is the rapture, and before the 70th week starts is a brief period of time, maybe hours, maybe days, we're not told. And then a peace treaty, so to speak, some kind of covenant is made by the Antichrist with the people of Israel. In the first half of the tribulation, Israel is protected. In the second half, they are persecuted. While the tribulation is unfolding on the earth... 
the Bema seat. Every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul tells us. This is a judgment not for unbelievers, but for Christians. He will look at each and everything that we've done as born-again believers. And the primary point of evaluation the New Testament reveals is how we have served Him when we're scattered and how we have served Him when we are gathered as a local assembly. And of course, after we are evaluated, we'll sit down with the Lord and we'll see the marriage supper of the Lamb. The first half is called tribulation, but in Revelation 6, it's also called great tribulation. Well, that's great tribulation. The second half is great, great tribulation because it really gets bad in the second half. It will culminate with the second coming of the Lord Jesus to the earth where he will literally rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, your amillennialists, they just have one big event. They say all of Revelation is history. The next event is Jesus comes back and we all go to heaven. No, 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 no. That is bad theology. It came out of Roman Catholicism. John Calvin adopted it. And it fed anti-Semitism, as I demonstrated to you, even with some of the anti-Semitic statements that Calvin and Luther and Augustine made. So, back here to the bowl slides once again. Uh, the seventh trumpet is open. The six bowls unfold. And again, this space of time. Now, this is important because this is a stylistic method that the Spirit of God used who inspired every single word of Scripture. And he does it not just in the Revelation, but throughout the whole of Scripture. This idea of reviewing and previewing. And if you read whole books of the Bible, you begin to see that. Even in the opening chapters in Genesis 1, God describes the creation of the world. But then in chapter 2, he reviews and he gives the details of how it unfolded, especially as it related to Adam and Eve. And so the Holy Spirit, one of his methods of teaching is reviewing and previewing. Now, sometimes people get bored, they yawn. Why are you going through this again, Pastor? I know this stuff. I've seen some of these charts before. That's a bad attitude if you have it. You should go home and confess it to the Lord and ask him to forgive you. Because God's writers throughout the Bible do this, and repetition is one of the best teachers, not to mention it would really say that you're out of touch with the lost world. Because you see, when you're engaged in bringing people to the kingdom, then you realize that there's new Christians. And we've got some people today who just last week received Christ, and they're hearing some of this for the first time. And you see, when we get out of touch and we just get in our own little clusters of Bible study and we don't share our faith anymore and we're not engaged in reaching the lost world, then we just say, feed me, pastor, teach me, pastor, but don't tell me something I already know. So the Spirit of God gives us a method of teaching and you see it even all the way through the New Testament epistles. So chapter 15 is not part of this um, parenthetical section. It goes with chapter 16. It's glued. Remember, the chapter and verse divisions are artificial. Chapter 15 is the introduction. It's the countdown, like we're on the uh, launching pad, and they're counting down. In chapter 16, God begins to roll out the bowls that brings about the battle of Armageddon. Now, 
notice here in chapter 15, there is a new vision that is given, and there are three dimensions to this vision that he will underscore there in your note-taking outline. First, he reminds us that this is a vision of judgment, a vision of judgment. We learn that beginning now in verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last because in them the wrath of God is finished. So this verse opens, I saw another sign in heaven. This is the third of three signs that John sees in heaven. The first, if you remember, we found in chapter 12, it concerned the nation Israel. The second one was also found in chapter 12, and it concerned the dragon who's identified as Satan and that great army of demons that are swept down to the earth during this time frame. But now we come to the third sign, and John immediately tells us it's a sign in heaven. And he specifically tells us what it is, seven angels who had the seven plagues. Now, he uses three words in this verse to describe the nature of these plagues. And as you read the two chapters, you discover that the word plague and bowl, or some of your translations say vile, is used interchangeably. All right. So when he's talking about the plagues, he's talking about the seven bowls of wrath. And you see that when you read the two chapters. You might want to circle these words. First, he refers to this sign as great. Why? Because it's awesome in power. Contained in this sign is going to make your spine tingle next time. I mean, it's incredible. Second, this sign is called marvelous. Why would you call this expression of wrath marvelous? Because as we will see, the saints of God are going to be vindicated. These people who have been slaughtered and marked and made fun of and beheaded are going to be vindicated as real servants of God. And that's marvelous. And third, he refers to this sign as the last of seven plagues because he tells us that in them the wrath of God is finished. When these last seven bulls are executed on the earth, this is the end of the wrath of God on the earth, and it will usher in the second coming of the Lord Jesus. So this is a promise that God is making, and it says the wrath of God is completed. Now, that's an important word, completed. It's a term that was used in a lot of different ways in the first century, really in everyday life. A servant would say, I have completed the work you've given me to do. He would say that to his employer or to his master if he was a slave. It meant he had finished what he had been asked to do. The Lord Jesus uses the same word, teleo, in his high priestly prayer. I glorified you by completing the work that you gave me to do. When he said that, he had finished the work. He had fulfilled the laws, commands, and the prophecies concerning him. He had completed it. The most common expression, however, of this verb teleo was used in the first century by merchants, and it was used of someone who had paid a bill. If you go to Israel, one museum you can visit is the Rockefeller Museum. The Rockefeller built an incredible place there. We haven't been there in our last few trips, but I think we should go again. And on it, in that museum, is a... Uh, several pieces of papyri with lists of names. And when the tax was paid, these papyri that were discovered in 1961, they're in the city of Jerusalem, they wrote this verb, teleo. It's the very verb that Jesus shouts from the cross when he says, tetelestai. It's the same verb, just in a different form. 
it means literally it is finished. It's completed. All the wrath that you deserve, Christ has completed on your behalf forever and ever and ever. He is paid in full. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 15 entitled, The Vision Before the Bowls, use the Search the Scriptures app for Android and iOS devices or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV41. Tomorrow, part two of The Vision Before the Bowls. Join us then as we search the scriptures.